shout out to the lambs. <laughs> the Oscar goes to... And the Grammy goes to... The winner is... The winner is... The winner is. The winner is. The winner is. The winner is. And the winner is. What's the like of seeing your luggage? Sometimes. That means sometimes. There can be a hundred people in a room. Maybe there is right now. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken. I don't know her. She always has these long lists of like diva demands. Cheetos and Doritos. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. And you embrace the term diva. Yes. Hello, divas, and welcome back to another episode of Diva Daily's podcast. So, before we begin, I just want to say we have a lot of segments in this show. So, if you want to fast forward to any particular part, just look at the show notes. Okay, so let's start off with, of course, our Oscar and Razzie moments of the week. Lisa, take it away. Okay, I'll start with my Oscar moment. Okay. And I'm really late to this, but I just found this out. There's a new movement, or I guess not new anymore, but movement happening in Hollywood that's kind of cool called Pay Up Hollywood. Oh, I've never heard of this. And it's assistants speaking up about the fact that they're unfairly paid and that they're being asked to do things that's really outside of what they should be doing for work. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a PA, then a lot of times you do errands and like running around town to like pick up A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Um, But that they're being asked to pay for gas and stuff out of personal expense, not out of the company card. Uh And I've heard of all these things happening just from like going to film school and hearing crazy stories. Yeah. But you never really know how accurate that is. Like if this stands for everybody, even as I've been looking online at different jobs and seeing like if I want to jump back into something that's film related, that's not necessarily on the creative side. Mm -hmm. When I'm looking at these job apps, then it's like everyone's getting paid minimum wage. Yeah. So I'm like, why would I leave my job to go make minimum wage and mm-hmm. then have the added cost of driving to LA every day? You know, yes. mm-hmm. it's like then I'd really be making less money. And <laughs> yeah. to what end? Uh-huh. And you'd be driving like way more, too. Right. So it's just interesting that this is a conversation now. And I wonder how Hollywood's going to react to it. And I hope that things change. Damn. But I don't really know what the answer is. Yeah, I don't. like in any a- aspect of film, then you're working long, crazy hours. But the assumption is that if you're doing that dirty work, then you're like, well, I'm doing it to move up. Right. Because when I was a senior in college, I interned for a production company. And as an intern, we worked under the executive assistant. And like she was very unhappy with her job. And I'm pretty sure she was there for at least, I want to say, 10 10, 11 years in the same position and she never moved up. And I think that's kind of always like the fear when you, I guess, apply for that role and you get that job is that you're going to be stuck in that position because that's like easy to. Um, So I'm glad that that's happening and that that's a conversation because you think that's the type of conversation that's going to keep you out of the industry, you know? Yeah. So hats off to the people that did that. My Razzie moment is also to do with the entertainment industry. I... 
I've been doing more research lately on like what the track people are using to get into writers rooms. Uh-huh. And as I was thinking this through, I'm like, what what shows do I watch even that have a writers room anymore? Mm. And then I didn't see an article on it, but I just was searching Twitter to see other people's experience and a lot of people had asked the same thing of like what's the route that you have taken to get to a writers room? Mhm. And traditionally, it used to be you were hired as a writer's assistant. It's like still assisting work, so you're still dealing. Like, I was a writer's assistant. And so even when I was a writer's assistant, I would do stuff that, like, dealt with his personal life. Uh Uh-huh. But I also was, like, doing all the notes for the script. So there's levels within a writer's room. Mm. So typical writer's room, you would think of, like, a maybe, like, a Friends. Like, something that's a sitcom. Right. And then you have your showrunner. So the showrunner is responsible for writing most of the episodes and then the other writers in the room, you come up with the outline and everything and punch up the jokes, all that as a room. But then it might be like, okay, Bob, this episode's yours. So Bob goes home that (laughs) night and he has the outline. He has everything that everyone contributed, but he's the one putting like the words words. on this. Yeah. Onto the script. And so then he would get a credit. So you get episodic credit for that. And that's how you move your way up. But luckily, we're living in a time that there's so much content, but the way that content is distributed, not even distributed, but like episodically what that content looks like has totally changed. We went from sitcoms where you have an episode out every week to a lot of shows. There's only 10 episodes now. Yeah. And so when there's only 10 episodes, whereas before there was like 20 something. Yeah. So you could give episodes to people now, like. Sometimes there's not even a writer's room. There's just the showrunner writing all of the episodes. Mm. Or if there's a writer's, a quote unquote, like writer's room, then it's more informal of like, it's not a whole room of people. There's maybe three people that are all like A-list writers and they're all contributing together. So it's like a group effort, but it's not a traditional writer's room. Yeah, I remember that's actually how the first entire season of Glee was. It was just Ryan Murphy, Ian Brennan and Brad Falchuk in a room together, which was like really rare. Uh Uh-huh. On one hand, it's like a really cool time for television, but it's like not a good time to be a writer. You would think it's a great time to be a writer, Mm -hmm. but because of the way we watch television, because that's changed, it's unintentionally shut out a lot of new writers because we don't have that same format we used to have. Yeah. So what I was finding on Reddit is even the people that were like writer's assistants, they were like, this used to be the way you'd work yourself up to like get up there, but I can't say that's true anymore. Because I don't know you could really get there because there's not the opportunities there used to be. Mm. So then did they say on like Reddit then like what is the new way now or no? No one, everyone's still trying to figure it out. I think like across the board, it's churning out content. On your own? Yeah. It's like do what you can do and then the audience will follow, you know? Yeah, I see. Mm -hmm. Which has pros and cons because I remember when we were in film school, then there was a couple different people that would come in and they're interesting but I'd be like I can't believe they have a job in writing they don't Mm. seem that creative or that fresh or yeah you know Mm -hmm. but they were a product of working their way up the system Mm. and so we have higher standards for content now because you can't do that you have to like prove I have the chops to be in this position which is great for content but it's harder for people that need like the guidance and aren't necessarily seasoned enough to just do the thing and then get the job yeah they need a little bit of mentoring Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like we're kind of in the if you want to break into the industry more from like the creative standpoint 
it's sort of like you have to create your own work and make your own work and use that as like your resume Mm -hmm. or use that as your C I'm worth investing in. Because I remember, did you go to uh, that panel when Justin Simeon came? Yes. Because he worked in PR at Film Independent Mm -hmm. for like the longest time. And then I think he told the story of he couldn't take it anymore. He just like never went back after a lunch break. Well, he's an example of someone that was working on stuff outside of work. Yeah, exactly. So like when he was doing the trailer for Dear White People, it was such a statement. And he had such a fresh take, something worth saying, and it caught wind. And I think that's how he was able to garner attention. But he Mm. did a lot of, like you were saying, outside work and work on his own. And my question for people like that is... How? Um, <laughs> well, well, but like he went to film school, so some of it could be like... Did he him... go to art school? Yeah. Yeah. But I think some of it is learning those things in film school. But like if I'm coming at it from... If I was trying to copy what he did then my issue would be like, there's a lot of things I just don't know about. Yeah, like... And I don't know how to gain that knowledge at this point. Don't they have, like, those, like, writers, quote-unquote, labs, you know? Yeah, like, for Sundance? Yeah. Yeah. I think with writers, it's a whole lot of, like, winning the big competitions. Mm. Because say you win... Well, obviously, the big one is the Nichols Fellowship. Mm -hmm. But if you win that, then suddenly you're just going to be bombarded with agents being like... Can I represent you? So then opportunity comes knocking, but it's proving yourself first. That's the hard thing. Yeah, that and I think just like maintaining that, that would be my fear if I were to win the writer's competition or even a bunch of the fellowships. Like with Disney has a really great one because you get paid salary, but they get first look at your portfolio. So not necessarily saying that they own the rights to everything that you've written, but they get to look at it and decide if there's anything that they want to like option from you before you can send it to other studios. And then your contract is just for a year. So at that point, you're either staffed on a show, like they place you somewhere or it's not a guarantee. Like some of them don't make it. They just do Mm -hmm. the year and then they're gone. And then because you have that under your belt, you might have some agents that will represent you after that because you've proven yourself. But the issue still stands of like, if you're not churning out the content, like I think no matter what level you're at, you can never just sit back. You have to always have new, fresh content Mm -hmm. and be like, this is my next project. This is what I'm putting forward. It's harder now, but the good thing is that we're living in a time like the internet where we can generate our own work. Yeah. I mean, like, look, even this podcast like this would have not been possible like 15 years ago oh yeah or for sure so it's refreshing yeah. in that way but it's mm-hmm. also like it just holds everyone to a higher standard yeah because so, like now like it's like kind of like a free-for-all yes like everyone's gonna do it yeah but it's like a matter of like quality and consistency i feel like mm-hmm. quality consistency and i don't think that you can still make the argument like oh you need to go to a b and c or like you have to network because yeah. it's all about connections i really don't think it's about connections anymore i think that if you're like some production company and you have an option to hire from within and take a risk on this person that works for you but like they studied a b and c but you don't really know how great they are or you can like hire this person that you saw their content on the internet and you know it's and you, good and you see and you saw the numbers that it's there yep. mm-hmm. then you're gonna go with the person on the internet not the person I in think, the company i think we're in the business now where a personality and having a bit of a following does somewhat get you a little leverage yeah you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like I think I remember hearing too that with actors and actresses sometimes they'll ask you like what's your following on social media like how many Instagram Mm -hmm. followers do you have how many Twitter followers do you have and it's like kind of sad but also at the same time you can if you're smart enough you can leverage that so that you can get the job 
Because it's all about the bottom line. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else to add to your Oscar and Razzie moment? That's it. I'm sorry it was so long. Oh, no, it's okay. (laughs) Well, my Oscar and Razzie moment is a tie-in as well. It's kind of like a two-for-one thing. I don't know if it was like last episode or maybe a couple episodes back. I mentioned my whole camera drama where my camera broke and then I had to get a new camera. I remember it well. Yeah, it it was a tough time. Well, yesterday I caved and I got a new camera. What? Yeah, I caved and I got a new camera. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I what need... What happened to the old camera? Oh, well, you sold it, right? Well, yeah, I sold the old camera, but then I had my broken camera and it still works, but the flip screen doesn't work. Oh. And I need that flip screen to work. And it's just very hard for me to film myself when I can't see myself. Yeah. So I was like, for the longest time... You want a time, camera that sees you. Yes, like quite literally sees me. Exactly. I was waiting for the longest time because I didn't want to spend my money. And then yesterday I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I went to Best Buy and I caved and I got a new camera and I'm very excited to use it. However, my Razzie moment of the week is that it was very expensive. So I'm still kind of settling with the reality that I spent that much money on a camera. But it's an investment. It's an investment. That's what I'm telling myself. And additional side Razzie is that it wasn't even physically at the store. So you have to wait until a couple of days oh, to like pick it up. that's the worst because you're like, now I'm out money and I don't even have the product. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm just kind of, I feel like very empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now our feature presentation. Everybody, my daughter over there. She's going to be a really big star one day. Okay. Steffi. I just have to say you are glowing today. Why? You're like sparkling. Would you say like glitter? I think so. Oh. (laughs) In a world where proving yourself is everything. Hey, Billy, can you repeat that verse? Okay. They don't matter. They're just back up. One woman is about to get the chance. When the microphone comes, do something special. To go from unknown. You have got a beautiful voice. I want to produce you. Yeah, right. So today, if you didn't just read between the lines, we are covering Mariah Carey's Glitter. Music legend Mariah Carey makes her future film debut in this love story set against the backdrop of New York City's club scene. Carey plays a young singer who overcomes a turbulent childhood and begins an exciting but often volatile journey to superstardom. Glitter was released September 21st, 2001, 10 days after September 11th. Ooh, really sets the tone there. Moment of silence. Glitter, of course, stars our aforementioned diva of the week, and that is Miss Mariah Carey, starring as up-and-coming singer-songwriter Billy Frank. And then we also have Mr. Max Beasley, who plays Dice, a.k.a. Billy Frank's love interest. And then additionally, we see Mr. Terrence Howard as Timothy Walker, DeBrat and Tia Texada as Luis and Roxanne, who play Billy Frank's friends. We have a little cameo by Eric Benet, who plays Raphael, another singer in the movie who wants to collab with Billy. And randomly, Padma Lakshmi <laughs> as Silk. Yep. What? I did not even know that she was in this movie. You know, after that singing career didn't pan out, she was just like, food. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to pivot. 
<laughs> so Glitter was directed by Vondi Curtis Hall. My personal favorite thing that he has directed, aside from, of course, Glitter, is Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, the TV Ooh. movie Lifetime biopic. Classic. And then Glitter was also written by Kate Lanier, who wrote the TLC story, Crazy Sexy Cool. That was on VH1. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Did you ever watch that? Mm-mm. Oh, it was really good. And then Kate Lanier also wrote the screenplay for What's Love Got to Do With It? Oh, wow. Good, which I was good like, for her. yeah, because that that's a really good movie. Yeah. I'll open the conversation how I normally open it with, have you seen this movie before? And did you know anything prior to this movie? I had not seen the movie before. When it came out, I was in first grade. And okay. so I wasn't really. No, wait, September, we were in second grade. Oh, you're right. Had just started. We had just started second grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had just started second grade. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. September. So and we, we were just... eight years old because I remember being eight when 9-11 happened. <laughs> so I had just started second grade and I'm pretty sure it was PG-13. So like I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it anyways. I don't even think I knew that this movie was out at the time. I knew, I knew that it was out. Oh. Because I was lucky enough to get a press box. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Yeah. You've been sitting on this information the entire time? Well, I mean, it wasn't like a huge, it was Oh, I think it's a huge deal. Oh my God. If any lambs are listening to this right now, they would probably like die for a press box. But my favorite part was, I mean, it wasn't huge. It was just the album. And then it was, I got body glitter and then I got um, (laughs) lip gloss. And I like to this day, when you give me the word lip gloss, I directly go to that glitter lip gloss because it was the greatest thing. It smelled like bubble gum. Oh, um, wow. And it was just like the perfect amount of glitter. Eight year old me was like, this is amazing. Wow. And, um, so that's all I knew about glitter is lip gloss. <laughs> Did the box have like glitter inside? See, it wasn't like a full press. It was like those three items. Oh. It wasn't like a press box in the sense of like. Here's the box. Yeah. It was more like just product. Oh, I see. Damn, do you still have that? No. Oh, I'm sure someone would be willing to buy that from you. Like, I'm pretty sure (laughs) you still had it. When you're watching the movie, you may notice that in almost every shot every outfit she has whether it's formal casual whatever mariah has like silver paint on her it shows up on her arm it shows up on oh, really her collarbone yeah oh my god on her back oh my gosh how did you not see this it was so distracting oh i did not notice that yeah wow yeah. so or like, you should look up pictures later but okay so she always has silver paint on her and it was driving me crazy i'm like why is there silver paint on her <laughs> why is there yeah, and so I couldn't find a definitive answer from a Mariah source, uh-huh. but it was on like Wiki, some one of those answer sites. Uh-huh. Someone was saying that she was doing that in the movie because she wanted to start a new makeup trend, and they oh. were going to sell roll-on body glitter, which would make sense because I received the roll-on body yeah, glitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she kind of like Euphoria makeup, like wanted to start a whole movement and trend of like now people wear this silver glitter, but it, it looked more like paint. Uh-huh. not glitter uh-huh so like if she wanted to start a trend and it was just body glitter in a specific place that i would get more but homegirl just looks like she's wearing silver paint wow interesting yeah maybe she could like bring that back she should uh-huh but like make it cuter because yeah, it kind of yeah. looks like since it's silver it like go like, back to the drawing board for that <laughs> it looks like duct tape Oh. <laughs> well, for me, I've never seen this movie before and I didn't really know anything about it. It kind of has this reputation of, oh, it's a bad movie. Yeah. You know, what were your initial impressions after watching the movie? Did you think it was a... <laughs> Lisa's face right now. 
(laughs) Okay, also, we just want to like off the top before we really get into it. Lambs, if you are listening to this, we're honestly a little bit nervous because we know how much you love Mariah. As we discuss glitter, we're going to have to try and be as objective as possible. And in our analysis of the movie and analysis of where this falls in Mariah's career we're not doing this to be mean to Mariah we're just like objectively making observations and critiques and commentary about this particular movie and era so yeah just putting that out there because I know the lambs are very passionate because what are we if not objective yeah we have to be unbiased mm-hmm. towards each diva yeah even when we are a little biased we mm-hmm. have to work to put our bias to the side yeah so that's all we're trying to do here Mm -hmm. all right well i guess we'll get into it into our scene so oh god okay what's your first scene i don't even know i have mine broken down into like true scenes mine's more just like thoughts (laughs) okay thoughts had while watching glitter because i watched the first half with lisa one of the first things we were wondering is we're like what era is this oh my god okay this is not i would like to live within the world of glitter because like what year is it and we don't care we just take the best of all the years okay like when i first watched this movie you know how they do like the the title and it says like 1983 i had to do a double take and i was like wait 1983 Mm -hmm. and then like as i kept watching i think i forgot this took place in 1983 because based on the costuming and production design i wouldn't know that it's 1983 and then at some point someone mentioned like oh it's the 80s and I was like wait wait, what and then I had to go back again to that point in the movie just to confirm that it it indeed was 1983 there's no way it literally looks like like the the 2000s and it like makes sense because it was made in the 2000s but it's just so funny the only reason why we know it's the 80s is because the movie is literally telling us it's the 80s but you (laughs) You know go off that and like she should make a sequel to glitter and it's like the universe that glitter exists within it's just like a little bit ahead of ours you know <laughs> like the 80s looked like the 2000s so then the 2000s can look like 2010 you know yeah. <laughs> or like if it's current day then it's just super futuristic yes and we're like whoa we're like this? wow what is time yeah yeah <laughs> san junipero who <laughs> i actually really like that about bad movies i like when i know i'm gonna watch something bad and i can just put my critical glasses to the and then be like let's roll with it what universe are we in another kind of random observation too i had off the bat was like how the entire flashback it had that like filter yeah and i was so confused like i thought i was watching like a defected version of the movie and then i had to forward and be like does it stay like this color and i was like oh no it just mm-hmm. stays in that color for the first 10 minutes of i watched the movie. it on youtube so i literally just thought that it wasn't loading correctly yeah me too we watched it on youtube by the way I was like oh it's blurry <laughs> yeah if you guys want to watch glitter at least at the time of recording this it's available on youtube to watch but yeah i was like i think there's something wrong with this copy yeah but there wasn't. It wasn't blurry. And Mariah was just like, it's a flashback. So my memories are a little blurry. <laughs> <laughs> I think the next thing I have that ties into the whole, like, what era is this? When they're at the club and she's, like, dancing and everything. I'm just like, again, what club are we in? Do we have some context? There's... Also, did I just miss this? Or does she work at the club? Or she's just, like, a club rat? Oh, my God. That's what confused me, too. Because this kind of actually relates to my scene. Is when Timothy, a.k.a. Terrence Howard, randomly picks the girls to be in the girl group with Silk or Padma Lakshmi. Host of Top Chef. <laughs> Host of Top Chef. On what 
merit would you pick these three girls like they're literally just like on the stage dancing Mm -hmm. among a sea of people so (laughs) why them yeah like why a girl group (laughs) yeah like why them it would make more sense if it was in the 90s or 2000s because well it looks like a 90s or 2000s club yeah well but isn't that more like the height of girl groups so that i would buy yeah. more if yeah. it's just like you three girls like we're gonna make a girl group mm-hmm. whereas in the 80s like was that even a big time for well girl i groups? i feel like silk's kind of aesthetic and look reminded me of vanity six that was like prince's mm-hmm. girl group that he kind of formed around vanity it felt like it had the same kind of aesthetic to that maybe at least silk looked like she could have been in vanity not the other three girls and they actually kind of had that sound too of prince and vanity of the 80s it looks like i've been using my voice for too long and that's just not my instrument yeah. to use my belly the first thing that i wanted to talk about was when billy and her friends were recording backup for silk in the mm-hmm. recording studio based on that scene i thought we were being set up for like a completely different narrative i thought the narrative mm-hmm. was going to kind of be like a singing in the rain where debbie reynolds character is like in the shadows being the actual voice look at us and then- hair and glitter just singing, <laughs> singing in, in the, the rain. rain we're probably the first people in the history <laughs> of yeah. life <laughs> of life to make that connection yeah. like Re- just because of that connection <laughs> this podcast is going to make its way across mariah's desk <laughs> and i'm so into you and that's forever and ever all my life my love's been waiting hey billy hey can you repeat that verse that silk just did yeah just for the backup okay Turn Silk way down, bring Billy all the way up. truly thought like that was where the narrative was going was like we were gonna see silk take a rise to the top where billy as a character was kind of like in the shadows but she wanted to be out but like no one believed her blah 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 but then that kind of all went away really quickly but (laughs) oh so quickly like that point where they're backstage and he's like like, i didn't know you could blow like that yeah and then all of a sudden mariah walks off and she's like (laughs) (laughs) i audibly laughed (laughs) i was like yes the editing and transitions in this movie were a choice yeah like the hyper sped up cutting randomly sometimes they had like the flashes of white light mm-hmm. or they would throw in a little sprinkle of glitter transition oh in yeah there. <laughs> You know what I always wonder is after a huge flop like this, I wonder if the studio, because it doesn't seem that far off. It seems like something you would do as a responsible business. If the studio like sits down and has a meeting and it's like, okay, whose fault was this? Was it lack of marketing? Was it the directing? Was it the editing? Like pinpointing like what was the bad seed that like made something unsuccessful? It was 9-11. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like when you're watching a bad movie, you're like, okay, is this because of the writing? Is this because of the editing? Is this... Because once it started getting made, everyone kind of realized like, ooh, this isn't that good, so I'm not going to do my best work. It'd be odd if it had really great editing Mm -hmm. because 
you just know it's not that type of movie. Like, that yeah. would feel out of place, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it would be so interesting to be a fly on the wall if they do have a meeting after this type of thing that's, like, pinpointing, like, what went wrong. Or even just watching the dailies. Yeah, watching the dailies yeah. would have been helpful. Like, those conversations. Well, I heard, I mean, this is kind of going a little bit into Spill the Tea, but I read somewhere that Mariah conceived the idea of this story, and then it was Kate Lanier who kind of fleshed it out mm-hmm. into screenplay format but even when they were on set they were like literally making revisions yeah. while they were shooting so that's never like which i i can totally thing. see that because that's always an issue when you have anything that's like loosely based on someone or like someone that doesn't have background in screenwriting is coming up with a story mm-hmm. because someone that's doing that they don't have any conception of plot points mm-hmm. and like how you need to drive stuff forward yeah they think more in scenes of like oh this happened and then this happens and this this happens and then the person whose job it is to actually like put it in a logical format it's like but that's not how story works yeah so you're trying to please this person but like also make it a viable movie and like it's just challenging and I got that feeling while watching this that I bet there was a lot of conversations of Mariah being like and then this happens to the character and then this happens to character because she's more thinking like cinematically here's what I want to happen not this is how it needs to flow. Right. That's <laughs> interesting. This is how you set up things so it pays off later. Right. That's interesting that you make that point, though, in terms of she was probably just thinking of like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, because mm-hmm. the story beats feel very generic. Yeah. You know, and you never feel like that emotional point in the story is earned. And I, I think that is reflective of Mariah was so involved in the story. Anytime even that you do a movie that's based on a real person, then you don't really want that real person to be involved in the creative process because Mm. they're too personally attached to it and they don't know how to tell a story in a cinematic way rather than a personal way right like you need some distance there Mm -hmm. but what I will say though at least in terms of writing that I thought was good was the actual songs themselves like okay my favorite scene honestly in this movie is when they show Billy writing and singing reflections Mm -hmm. at the keyboard as soon as that scene started I was like oh this is good you know (laughs) and it might largely be because like it's Mariah getting to sing more or less it's like kind of a glimpse into what it would be like to watch Mariah make a song Mm -hmm. but the lyrics of that particular song right off the bat had more emotional depth and meaning than the screenplay yeah did at least that's proof that Mariah delivered at least on the music Mm -hmm. and I guess your favorite song yeah that's my favorite song reflections of your And I guess, like, as a character, too, I would say, like, Billy. Oh, Billy. Um, that was, like, at least from a character standpoint, we got to see her, like, be creative and at work. And, like, one mm-hmm. of the few times we actually saw her, like, working. finding some sense. Well, yeah, working and, like, finding some sense of, like, control yeah. in her career. Because pretty much for the most part, we just see her being pushed around by dice. And it's, like, very frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. So I liked that scene. Did you like that scene? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I like that they let it like play out 
Mm-hmm. They let her releasing a good chunk of it. Yeah. And they let Dice just be like in the fucking back where he deserved to be. <laughs> Dice. <laughs> that, oh, well, man. if we're talking about Dice, that kind of leads into my next uh, little blip. Okay. Once you know you're watching a bad movie, I actually so enjoy watching it because I get to just get in the zone of like, I can enjoy this bad movie to the fullest. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite parts is when after their date that's not a date, oh he invites God. her up and he plays the marimba for her. <laughs> What's this, like a xylophone, like in kindergarten? <laughs> Similar to the xylophone, but a little different. This is this is actually called a marimba, and uh, that's one of my favorite instruments. Would you move down a little, please? Thank you. that gets billy i was crying laughing yeah because he's like let me because he's like let me show you something yeah and then he like he's like delicately like and then that's just panty dropper right there yeah and then like she's like looking at him to be honest like of all the instruments like i really love the marimba so it's like what a great choice but like are you joking after like what about on dates if guys after this movie just started using do you want to come up and I'll show you my marimba? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, what a choice. I just love that part. Is this a date? No, this, this is not a date. If, if this was a date, then you, you would know about it. Oh. Okay. Yeah. What did you think of Mariah and... Mariah and the marimba. <laughs> well, yeah. What do you think of Mariah and the marimba? But also, what did you think of Mariah and Max Beasley's chemistry in this movie? It was non-existent. Um, I also love too in their date after they hook up that shot of them like laying in bed mm-hmm. but it looks like she doesn't even want to be touched by him did you yeah. get that sense? she's yeah. like so far away from him I was like because oh she's like God. can you go play more marimba <laughs> she's like so that marimba though <laughs> oh man I just want a man to show me his marimba yeah <laughs> Well, I have one more scene to talk about, but do you have any other scenes? Well, my favorite song was the cover of I Didn't Mean to Turn You On. It's just stuck in my head. Oh, is which when did they play that? I think it's her first song. The I Didn't Mean to Turn You On. Was that the song that they played in the club? Not the performance. It's like her first single as an artist, I think. Oh, like the one where like they sneak in the tape and they're like, play this. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one too. Yeah. like that one that was like that was like a bop mm-hmm. but that's a cover from the 80s oh yeah so I, I think maybe that's why some of it was set in the 80s is again more reflective of mariah's personal style uh-huh. in her like just being like i want this and i want this and i want to have this moment and yeah. not thinking through story mm-hmm. it was more like we're gonna set it in the 80s so i can do 80s covers yeah i wonder which came first it seems like the music came first and then the script came 
Mm, yeah, good question. Because I, I read somewhere that when Mariah was thinking of her next record, she specifically wanted to make 80s kind of disco style music. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if after that she's like, and then that's why I should set all that glitters, aka glitter, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. that'd be And, <laughs> and then like they're done with the script and they're like, girl, we already set, set it in all the, the 2000s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. So my last scene that I want to talk about is Billy's speech at mm-hmm. that concert at Madison Square Garden. It oh, just like- that's mine too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you go. It gave me like a Star is Born vibe. Yes. But we hate Jackson Maine. <laughs> you hate Jackson Maine? No, I'm saying like a Star is Born vibe. Oh, I see. But if we hated Jackson Maine. Yes. Okay. So like I feel like honestly the story beats of this movie more or less have like this like if you like kind of tilt your head and like squint a bit, it kind of has similarities to a Star is Born. Mm-hmm. It's like they wanted you to watch the whole thing through that filter of the flashback. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dice, they didn't give him any redeeming quality whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And like I hate how pretty much throughout this entire movie we see this man more or less control and manipulate Billy to the point where he starts to feel very insecure about where he is and he starts taking that frustration out on her. Do you really think, do you really think inside your mind that because you swing your ass around on stage and you hit a couple of high notes here and there that you were some colossal success? Your mother would have been proud. So you build us up throughout the entire movie to more or less not like this guy. Mm-hmm. And then at the very like last like 10, 15 minutes, suddenly Billy starts to have feelings for him again. That really pissed me off. Like I hated how this movie tried to like romanticize that relationship between Billy and Dice. Mm-hmm. Like what? What the hell? And then her whole message of everybody out there, don't ever take anybody for granted. Because you never know when you might lose them. And you may never get a chance to tell them how you really feel. What is that? God, that like really, that really pissed me off. I was Mm -hmm. so upset. I was more just confused of like why she has this song. (laughs) Like as she was singing it, I was like, did she know he was going to die? Like, yeah. It was just odd to me. That would have been really funny to like tie in another diva movie if like at the end, because you know how like he gave her the rose mm-hmm. on their first date. If she like walked out with a rose and like dropped it, like how Selena does uh-huh. in the movie. Well, and also when she comes back and there's the rose there, I'm like, hold up. Is he still alive? Yeah, like, how did he send that to her? <laughs> yeah. That whole like good 30 minutes at the end. I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? What? where's yeah. this going yeah and then like how they just like narrowly miss each other mm-hmm. and she like how did she get in like he didn't think to change the keys she stole the key yeah she went in and then she's just like kisses the music sheet and leaves yeah also oh my gosh that was Lisa's note she's like could they not have redone that kiss like her kissing the sheet music that kiss is so bad like <laughs> the lip print oh yeah is, the limp print is yeah, like weird. it's awful it's yeah. weird <laughs> it's like, like make it look nice well, and I I get it like I've I've done things like that before where I like to like I think on a binder one time then yeah when I was like a young teen then yeah. I I did like a bunch of like lipstick kisses on mm-hmm. it and it's hard yeah to, like, do a- <laughs> it is hard work yeah many takes yeah it, it's some hard work so I get that but like they should have reshot that yeah just or so just like awkward. or just like freaking fake it my lord it's a movie yeah you're right and we're you're at right. this point already you're like, not wrong yeah <laughs> 
also like random observation too that I loved about this movie is how they would conveniently turn on and off Billy's fame. Yeah. How is it that this woman becomes like super famous like, like pop- out madison square garden yeah paparazzi is chasing her when she comes out of the jail but yet at the same time she could like freely walk by herself in new york yeah what <laughs> also the part where she sees the person that i now know is just someone that looks like it could be her mom oh my god i was so confused I'm like, i was like is that her mom yeah i was like is that her mom does she just is is that her acknowledging like she birthed me but like that's not my mother anymore so i'm not gonna say anything yeah i thought or, that too uh, that's why i thought and then so at the end when she goes she and she sees her mom, mom i'm like, like wait what <laughs> yeah me too i was like wait the last what? 30 minutes just gave me such whiplash between the wait she had that song did she know he was gonna die wait the rose is there is he still alive wait she's in the car where's she going wait her mom's alive wait, wait and then wait. the fact that when she goes to travel to see her mom it looks like a long trip yeah she's in a gown <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> she comes out in like country area mm-hmm. in this glamorous gown yeah so did she after performing well, think, go straight yeah. to mm-hmm. which i actually kind of liked that moment if this <laughs> i just was thought a, it was really like the visual was, like, of it was good funny. if they had done it better if this was like a good movie then i kind of like that idea of someone being at the peak of their fame and then them realizing like this isn't it for me like i need to reconnect with family like i need to find my roots it's kind of like the you just won the super bowl what are you gonna do you know yeah her leaving immediately at the peak of her fame and being like just take me to middle of nowhere like, yeah coming back to her roots mm-hmm. so I felt like it had it had the potential to do to that to be really cool, but like they just didn't set it up, and it wasn't that type of movie. Yeah, because there was no emotional beat of like I'm getting everything I want, but yet I'm still not happy. Yeah, it was just like I'm along for the ride, right? Sort of thing. Yeah, so if they would have set it up better, I think that that could have been cool. Uh huh. And the end was really odd. <laughs> And then, like, I was like, oh, wait, it's it's over. Because then they had, uh-huh. they were, like, panning out. It was, like, a bird's eye view of the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Wow. Glitter. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on glitter before we really get into the glitter of it all? I, for one, I really like bad movies. Okay. So I liked glitter. I I appreciated for what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to jump into our next segment. It's called Popcorn and Pop Stars. And this is a segment where we talk about where the diva was at this point in her career when she made the movie and potentially why she did the movie. Also, just want to say, too, we're going to try and do our best at this particular segment because there is a lot of history history there. Like Lisa and I, when we were prepping for this particular segment, like we had to do a crash course on Mariah's career mm-hmm. up until this point because we feel like you can't understand the moment of glitter and what 
happens during this era unless you understand what happened before mm-hmm. and the era. Speaking to our audience that doesn't know a lot about Mariah, we're just going to kind of be scratching the surface. So if you find this interesting, I would go do your own research because her career trajectory is really interesting just as far as how many labels she went to and everything that led up to Glitter and everything after. All right, let's try our best, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Where should we start? Like, what what year do you want to go to? I would just start at her at Columbia when she came up with the idea for Glitter. Well, originally, Glitter was called All That Glitters in 1998. This is when she was still with Columbia. Yes. So she was at Columbia, which Columbia is owned by Sony. So for you that don't know, then Mariah was married to Tommy Mottola, which was the head of Sony Music. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of personal attachment there when she was developing all that glitters it kept getting delayed and pushed back because the label wanted her to release an album with her number one singles from the u.s but mariah thought that compilation album should have been like more personal songs not just the hits so clearly there was a lot of creative friction there that she was having with her label so in 1998 as well she also splits from tommy Matola. the feeling is that he made you his guidance his helping you choose the songs his publicity machine his this is that that it wouldn't have happened without him well i don't i don't believe that because i know that i wouldn't have given up and i do know that i was very close to having a deal prior to meeting him Mm -hmm. but i do believe that he was very instrumental because he did see the potential tommy matola was someone who at least the beginning of mariah's career was very instrumental Mm because at the time columbia was trying to find their main diva girl because tastemaker that tommy yeah because well arista of course had whitney houston at the time and then sire records had madonna so columbia was trying to find their girl to be the competing artist with those ladies Mm -hmm. after mariah gets signed to columbia at some point that professional relationship becomes a marriage but i think it more or less was just so he could control her a bit more i don't think there was ever a moment when she had control of her own image or her own sound while she was at sony She was the diamond in the rough who was discovered by a great established A&R person who had, um, who saw what she could be and then attempted to turn her into that. You shouldn't go through your life always in fear of the next argument or the next issue or the next problem. So four years after the storybook wedding, Mariah left Tommy Mottola. In any case, we jump to 1998 and they're divorced. Mariah's having problems with the label. And then we get to 1999 and she does an album called Rainbow, which she finishes really quickly. She does it in three months. And at the time, that was like the album she made the quickest. And essentially the reason why she made that really quickly was because she wanted to get out of her contract ASAP. So to fulfill her label obligation, she just needed to release this one album. That was Rainbow. And then we get to 2001, and that's when she signs with Virgin Records and has this really huge dollar amount deal. Like Mariah Carey just had this big $20 million. Like the, that's like a huge deal, right? And this is when Glitter more or less enters the picture. So what we're trying to say with that backstory is that Glitter was a long time coming, and it was something that Mariah 
felt very personal about and she was very involved in because if you look at the other divas we've done and their transition into film, a lot of times it's been projects that they weren't producing. They just were wanting to move into film and wanted to be an actress in the role or they were offered the role. Whereas this is something that Mariah was like, I want to do this. I want to have an album that goes with it. And she was very passionate about it. And even when she switched record labels, she still wanted to do this project. So she was very involved. And I think that also ties into the fact that she was very involved and she was very busy. And that led to a lot of uh, stress. And it made her dizzy. Which unfortunately starts to come to a head Mm -hmm. during the glitter era. Yes. And so that sets us up for moving into the tea. Who is it? Mrs. Potts, dear. I thought you might like a spot of tea. Oh boy. It's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while. Going into 2001, basically, poor girl just had too much to carry on her shoulders. She had this huge record deal with Virgin, so she had a lot to live up to. She's finally releasing Glitter. She was also involved in this project Wise Girls. She was doing promotion worldwide and she just had too much on her plate to Mm -hmm. be honest yeah yeah in july she starts promoting the lead single for the glitter era and that's a song called lover boy The first like piece of press that she starts to do is at BET 106 in Park. And apparently she had some sort of, I don't know, online it says Mariah hid her thighs behind large pillows and ranted that her life was one day that was continuous. <laughs> hid her thighs. Yeah. That's like an odd detail. Yeah, that's such an odd detail. I was she like, hid her thighs. What an interesting way of describing that situation. That's something funny happened on set. Something funny happened on Okay, well, I was exhausted because we were in the desert, right? And they had me just doing all sorts of antics in the desert, and it was hot. And then I said, I need to go to sleep because I got to get up the next day and, you know, whatever, do the video. So... David comes up with this concept that there was this place called Schnookies, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a bikini bar. So I'm like, okay, I'll wear a bikini, but not realizing that that would be where they strip. But then after BET 106 in Park, we get to the infamous TRL appearance. Mm -hmm. Bring the beat back. Hi. So editor's note, at the time Lisa and I recorded this episode, it was November and we could not find the TRL appearance on YouTube because it wasn't available on YouTube. But since then, it actually is now available to watch on YouTube. So if you want to watch that appearance Mariah made on TRL back in 2001, you can find it. So just keep that in mind while listening to the next part of the episode. Okay, hope you're enjoying. You got J-Lo and that was uh, I'm Real love the Remix. Love boy, with... come on and love me. What the hell's that? Give me more. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> touch Mariah Carey. I'm gonna be kidding me. Ice cream truck. I 
granted, haven't seen the full thing where she's like passing out the ice cream and stuff. Honestly, but I don't I think, think it's, it's that, that bad. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think it was weird either. Maybe yeah. at the time they thought it was weird, but I didn't think it was weird. Yeah, especially because their whole thing was she kind of showed up unannounced, but she had been doing some promo before that where she was there like every day for a week. I yeah. think if some other artist like wasn't there every day for a week and then just showed up, I think that would be more jarring. But she had been doing promo with them and been there every day so Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that weird that she'd just show up yeah and I kept seeing articles about like she did this whole strip tease and I'm like yeah I was like that's not a strip tease yeah that's not a strip tease that's her like wearing a promo shirt and then taking it off or yeah she even takes she she, took it off right she takes it off and then what are you doing oh my god what are you doing Mariah Carey is stripping on TRL right now. I'm guessing she gives it to someone in the audience. So, like, again, that's not weird to me. That's, yeah. like, you came with something for someone in the audience. Right, and then, like, they, they, like, pointing out to you that she was pushing an ice cream cart and started, like, passing out ice cream. But I'm like, um, hello, generous. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. wants to feed her audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if she doesn't share, she's a diva. And if she does, she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Double yeah. standards. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Get the truck. Get the truck. Also, she did so much promo during this time that they say that's kind of what led to her meltdown and she was getting no sleep. You're my therapy session right now, Carson. Okay, you what's see, a, what's you see every now and then somebody needs a little therapy. Yes, I understand that. And today is that moment for me. <laughs> what's wrong? Well, you weren't, Everything's Aren't great. you busy? You just came by TRL Hello. to hang out? I did not no, know about just, this. But if you're looking for all this promo, like, there's not a whole lot online. So I wonder if her people just kind of yeah. try to scrap everything. Yeah, because I was trying to find, like, the full TRL clip, but I only found them talking about it in another show. Yeah. Which was like, okay. Or even if you just try to find just the different promos she did. I found, like, a couple interviews, but you had to really search for them. So I'm mm-hmm. like, judging from the way it's covered in written articles, it sounds like she was doing, like, five interviews a day or more and going show to show to show and it's like we don't have any record of it so I don't know if she was saying shit that was so crazy that they had to just scrap it we're all just living in the moment of being positive and there's like people called haters no 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 sing sing sing. and we give them positivity let's go go. you see I can't even get a minute or what happened to that yeah I don't know I'm more on the side of like I don't think everything she did was so crazy I think she was just overworked Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like whenever they describe the press she was doing, they always use the word erratic yeah. behavior. And they I were like, Mariah was saying erratic things or her odd behavior. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like that's a bit of an over-exaggeration, yeah. you know? Mariah Carey's um, okay. lost her mind. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on here. I was going to commercial break. <laughs> wait, uh, Carson, I had the other wait, wait, video and I hear her singing. Truck. You brought ice cream. Look at the ice cream truck. I bought, I bought everybody presents. Hold All right, on. Mariah. So then that happened. And then at, at some point in July, too, she posts these voice messages on her website, which then get taken down. Yeah, that ultimately leads her to be, unfortunately, hospitalized. Which this is kind of like a reflection of real life imitating the movie because she goes back to her mom's house oh yeah yeah she like went back to her mom's house and like physically passed out mm-hmm. and i'm like i wonder if she was wearing a dress <laughs> yeah we will never know two days after cindy forcibly unplugged an incoherent carrie the superstar entered a psychiatric facility 
Burger's official explanation? She was exhausted. Yeah, so then in 2001, she gets hospitalized for extreme exhaustion and mental and emotional breakdowns. And now we know, and this is why I love looking back at old movies, is we have the benefit of like time mm-hmm. and we have more pieces to the puzzle. But now we know that this is when she gets diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. Yeah. Back in 2001, Carrie received her bipolar 2 diagnosis after suffering a very public emotional and physical breakdown. The star ultimately hospitalized. The disorder is characterized by unusual shifts between mood, energy, activity levels, and the ability to carry out day-to-day tasks. That was the same year of her whirlwind promotional tour for her feature film Glitter, which fizzled in the box office, and even rumors of an alleged suicide attempt, which her team has denied in the past. She spoke about her nonstop lifestyle on The View. I never took a break. I never learned how to just put myself before my career. I just didn't. I just started making records basically right out of high school and never stopped. Which, that makes a whole lot more sense to me because she does talk a whole lot about sleep and her lack of sleep and all that. And Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, like, she looks way too good to have been getting no sleep for this long. And so I'm not saying, like, she was getting sleep, but the whole sleep thing is very confusing because, one, I just don't think a person can physically survive with that little sleep for that long. Yeah, because she said, like, oh, yeah, I was only getting, like, two hours of sleep per day. Yeah. Like, what? And she does not at all look like she's getting two hours of sleep. So I'm not saying she's lying, but Mm -hmm. I'm saying if she had an actual mental illness that was keeping her from sleeping, that makes way more, like, if she was in, truly in a manic state, Mm. that makes more sense to me than her just being, like, overworked and couldn't sleep, like, didn't have the time schedule to sleep. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot on Mariah and sleep. There's articles that say Mariah Carey says she needs 15 hours of sleep in a room full of humidifiers to be able to sing. So it's like, how do you go from three hours for a year to like, I need 15 hours? Maybe she's like trying to like catch up on the sleep she she lost. Well, and she talks a lot about sleep. Like there's a lot of tweets about sleep. When she was with Nick Cannon, she tweeted, Nick is too cute when he's asleep. I wish he didn't have work tomorrow so he he could help me sleep all day and I could sing all night. Like, she just talks a lot about sleep. Well, I have an interesting quote here from Mariah about sleep. In, I think this was 2018, when she came out on People magazine and said that she had bipolar 2 disorder. Uh She says here, quote, For a long time, I thought I had a severe sleep disorder, but it wasn't normal insomnia, and I wasn't lying awake counting sheep. I was working and working and working, and I was irritable and in constant fear of letting people down. It turns out that I was experiencing a form of mania. Eventually, I would just hit a wall. I guess my depressive episodes were characterized by having very low energy i would feel so lonely and sad even guilty that i wasn't doing what i needed to be doing for my career yeah so that makes more sense to me Mm -hmm. but it's just interesting she has so much to say on sleep and so much varied things to say on sleep so i think it speaks more to a manic depressive state Mm -hmm. i always feel really bad for like people who can't go to sleep because you hear a lot about the big superstar people because like their sleep schedule is so like weird because they yeah. have to be on at night and like they do most of their recording studio work at night but then mm-hmm. at the same time they have to like do work in the day and then when they like start yeah. to travel their time body... yeah and... exactly like, yeah i mean like michael jackson he had to freaking take illegal drugs to go to sleep mm-hmm. like i feel really bad for people who can't go to sleep because that's just very unfortunate mm-hmm. but um yeah where were we in the story of mariah <laughs> so oh. she had this mental breakdown mm-hmm. and it actually caused the movie to kind of be pushed yeah so three that, weeks yeah i think 
and then well unfortunately the push date overlapped with overlapped with yeah overlapped with 9-11 so the album glitter comes out on 9-11 and then 10 days later the actual movie comes out on September 21st, mm-hmm. 2001. This, Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story. And yeah, it was just like unfortunate buildup of events and unfortunate timing. Yes. And I don't know if you guys have seen this GIF online, but there's a literal GIF that exists of someone like shooting the subway billboard poster for glitter. And then they pan up and you see the Twin Towers burning in the background. And it's just like, wow, (laughs) my gosh. Yeah. And did you notice, too, in the movie, they show a shot of the Twin Towers? Yeah. I was like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Should we mention a little bit about like this JLo and Mariah thing that Mariah allegedly believes was a thing that may have happened, like that conspiracy? I think you can if you want. I don't, I, to me, it's a conspiracy. Well, I guess we'll just like briefly mention that there is this conspiracy. Maybe Lambs can confirm, deny if there's actual <laughs> proof of this. This whole like feud between Mariah and JLo, how Mariah doesn't know JLo could possibly stem from this era here's the thing so i go back to my seat and jlo's sitting behind me and i'm like you know what there was this whole thing when you were last on i there was the moment where you said i don't know her and then that she said so i know her ago, i can't believe people still make such a big deal I out know, of but it do you know each other no no okay you, here's she says you know her Okay, I know she, you know what? I'm very forgetful. Okay. Apparently, (laughs) apparently, I'm forgetful. Yes. Because I don't remember the fact that it was just like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and then move on. And then like, hi. That's it. Right. If I had never had a conversation with you and someone asked me about you, I'd be like, I don't know him, but he seems cool. Right. Or I don't know him. Does she seem cool? I don't know her. What is your relationship (laughs) with Mariah Carey? I always have heard that there's a feud there. Yes, um, I don't have a feud against her at all. Um, I know from back in the day, I've read things that she said about me (laughs) that were, you know, not the greatest, but we have never met. Like, we don't know each other. I think it's from, like, kind of word of mouth of things that have happened in the past that I'm not really aware of, but I don't know. I would love to meet her and I would love to be friends with her. I think she's incredibly talented. It, it, it saddens me to hear anything that's negative because I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of hers. Very good. Allegedly, Columbia, Sony, Tommy Matola, Mariah's former label, they were preventing her lead single, Loverboy, from being played on radio. And this is back when radio was a really, really big deal and you really needed the radio for your record to become successful. So the radio stopped playing Loverboy and Mariah thought that this was all Tommy Matola's doing, Columbia and Sony's doing. So she felt like they were sabotaging the success of this glitter moment that she was having. And then Mariah also believed that J-Lo was being groomed by Tommy Matola because she thought that J-Lo suddenly started to look like her. And then she thought that it was weird that J-Lo had an album done. And then she released remixes that sounded completely different to what J-Lo had done on her album. But yet the remixes that J-Lo was coming out, they sounded similar to what Mariah was doing. And then there was 
a song that JLo had called I'm Real. And Mariah believed that part of the melody of that song came from Loverboy, even though like that song samples a song from the 70s. Vanessa Gregoriadis, who originally spoke with Mariah for Allure, told Carrie she'd recently interviewed Lopez. Carrie said, quote, I bet it was really intellectually stimulating. I bet you could just see the depth in her eyes. She was so soulful. You know, she just really didn't like Hearing Jennifer Lopez's name, it wasn't somebody she wanted to talk about. Mariah, who calls herself Supergirl, says she often sleeps just three hours a night. When told Lopez claimed to get eight, Mariah said, quote, if I had the luxury of not actually having to sing my own songs, I'd do that too. Certainly, she doesn't have a lot of respect for her as a singer. Gregoriadis says Mariah's attitude toward Lopez stems from her belief that part of the melody in Jennifer's hit, I'm Real, comes from Mariah's own song, Loverboy. Though the music actually comes from a song recorded in the 70s, Mariah still thinks something's fishy. This didn't make any sense to her. How did a melody that she had locked down over the summer, last summer, suddenly appear on Jennifer Lopez's album? This was something that really bothered her. Case in point, I feel like this is when Mariah started to no longer <laughs> see it for J-Lo. But... Which my take on that is just as we said earlier, then Columbia needed their huge pop star. And so when Mariah left, they had to replace and have their new pop star. Like, they can't mm-hmm. be expected to just sit back and not do business, you yeah, know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she decided to leave. Yeah, I would say the same. I don't really know if this is an actual thing that happened, but there is that conspiracy out yeah. there. There's also, like, I don't even... I'll probably cut this because it's, like, so wild Stan Twitter. Mm-hmm. But there was, like, a day on Stan Twitter where people were saying that Whitney Houston was the reason that 9-11 happened. <laughs> Because, okay, because Osama bin Laden apparently was, like, a huge Whitney Houston stan. Uh And, like, he loved Whitney to the point where he wanted to kill Bobby Brown and have, like, Whitney as one of his, like, concubine wives. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, like, there were, like, jokes, like, can you imagine Osama bump into Whitney in the caves? Like, crazy stuff like that. So so then the reason why they think Whitney caused 9-11 is because if Osama bin Laden was such a stan, he was trying to divert the glitter success for Whitney and he did not. I obviously don't think like that's a real thing, but that's just like Stan Twitter being like Uh wild again. But yeah, and then I also read somewhere that Mariah regrets being part of the film. Mm-hmm. So. which is it's sad yeah. it's like it was something a project so personal she really her. wanted to do for mm-hmm. the longest time yeah all right well we're gonna bypass our normal next segment which would have been tinseltown showdown <laughs> because we don't really have anything for that this week because so i guess everyone that was in their role was born for it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so again if you're a lamb maybe you can email us and let us know if we if we missed anything because anything. Yeah. i was really hoping to find something or like maybe there was going to be some huge cameo from people and then they pulled out of the project something like that but mm-hmm. i maybe i just didn't dig deep enough or i really have a theory that someone out there went on the internet and wiped all memory of glitter <laughs> they did a glitter hard reset yeah so maybe stuff's out there no way i want to see the receipts well let's jump into our next segment it's called a show me the receipts and we're just gonna share some receipts some stats about the movie so what do you have this movie did not make its money back it lost money at the box office it didn't perform well i won't go into numbers because that's basically the gist of what you need to know is by its second week it had really dropped Mm. and it was a total flop at Mm. box office well what i have is that 
at this point and I'm not quite sure if this still stands but this was Mariah's lowest selling album so not a great look considering that this was the first album she released with Virgin and she had a lot of pressure to show that she was worth the big investment so the fact that this was her lowest selling album up at that point wasn't the greatest moment and then additionally Glitter was nominated for six Razzies worst director worst supporting actor Max Beasley worst picture worst screen couple the thing that was nominated was Mariah Carey's Cleavage oh as worst screen couple worst screenplay and then worst actress for Mariah Carey which she actually won for worst actress at the Razzies that year Oh, wow. Yeah, so Did she that. pick up her award? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if she did, there's probably no footage of that. So even though it was nominated so heavily for Razzies, an interesting footnote is that the film is listed in Golden Raspberry Award founder John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Guide, as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. Oh, that's so good. So of the bad movies, he found it enjoyable. Yeah, I think we did too. Yeah. And then Rotten Tomatoes score, it has a 7% on the tomato meter and a 48% audience score. Which, like, it's almost fresh by audience standards. Yeah. Or not fresh. Is it is it over 50% fresh? I think. Or is yeah. it over 80? Oh, I don't know. Well, we're almost there. If, if 50%, if 51% is fresh, then Justice for Glitter, we can get it to fresh. Yes. Leave those positive reviews yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, you guys. What is the impact of glitter? Well, unfortunately, the glitter trend of putting glitter on your arm, chest, and back didn't have lasting impact, (laughs) but we can hope. Yeah. (laughs) Well, notably, we had a justice for glitter moment, though. Not even a moment. It was was a movement. These people love you so much, they put the glitter soundtrack back in the top 10. I can't What does that mean? Hashtag justice for glitter. In 2018, 17 years after Glitter came out and one day before Mariah's new album at the time, Caution, was released, Glitter actually went number one on iTunes. And there's a really interesting Rolling Stones article, and I'll be posting it in the show notes, that kind of details how this all came about. But essentially, this was really like the power of the lambs. This was a fan-led movement. So at the time of recording this, and at the time of this movement, Glitter wasn't available on any streaming services. And Glitter the album. Yeah, Glitter the album wasn't available to stream on any streaming services. And leading up to this moment, there was a particular lamb let me see if I could get his name his name is Kenny he's a French lamb who a French lamb he's a, he's a French Kenny the French lamb I believe this yeah I believe this is the guy who started it oh my um, goodness he <laughs> he didn't give his last name in the article but Kenny has this tradition where leading up to a new Mariah album he creates a private calendar where he spends each day leading up to its release, listening to her discography in chronological order. Kenny decided to share his private Mariah calendar on Twitter. So the other Mariah lambs caught wind of this. And on the day that they were all supposed to listen to Glitter, they couldn't because it wasn't available to stream. So they were 
telling you know people okay you gotta you gotta buy buy glitter on itunes because that's truly the only place that it was available they start to see small bumps on the charts so fans kept rallying behind the album and then they revived the justice for glitter hashtag as soon as glitter the album broke into the top 10 of the itunes charts that's when mariah tweeted justice for glitter and in the article, they say that Glitter went number one and it surpassed Imagine Dragons Origins album. And guess which other album it surpassed? We covered this movie. It's 2018. 2018. I don't know. It surpassed the A Star is Born soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But yeah. Yeah. And then apparently, I'm quoting from the article again, it says, impressively, the sales of Glitter in the last five days account for more than a third of the album's total sales all year. Oh my goodness. So justice for Glitter. Um, and coincidentally, at the time of recording this, literally either earlier today or late last night, Mariah tweeted that she's trying her best to get the soundtrack available on streaming. Yeah, because I was going to say a sad end to this is Glitter's no longer on iTunes. Oh. Yeah. So maybe so, and Glitter's it, it coming. hasn't been on iTunes since like this summer. Oh, really? So it was taken off. Oh, damn. Yeah. So maybe that's a sign that it really is going to come to maybe. streaming. Maybe. I think it's something to do with rights because all the answers oh. to it, when people like bought the album and then they're yeah. having trouble playing it. Oh, shit. And so iTunes is saying it's because they don't have the rights to it. Like something with who has the rights to distribute that album has oh. taken it off. Oh. Glitter the movie is not available on iTunes either. Oh. And it's not just a matter of it being on Apple Music. It's not on Apple Music and it's not like physically available to buy. Mm. Well, maybe they need to revive that justice for glitter hashtag. <laughs> Do you have any other impact notes on Glitter? Where do you think this stands in the oeuvre of Mariah's work? <laughs> I think it's notoriously a flop of a movie. It's not one of those that just kind of got lost in the shuffle and people forgot about it. It actually gained like a cult following. Yeah. So I always think that's cool when you have a bad movie that like people respect it for being a bad movie. Because mm-hmm. you could it could go the other way. Like there's definitely projects that have been like, oh, that's a bad movie and no one wants to rewatch it. Right. It's like a lovable bad movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's probably like the legacy of Glitter too. And mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the lambs really seem to love it. Yeah. So at least like her core audience has love for that project Mm -hmm. so that's always nice coming soon to theaters all right you guys we are now moving on to coming attractions this is the segment of the podcast where we play a little clip of the movie that we're going to be covering in the next episode but um, i'm going to let you in on a little secret We are not going to be covering this movie next week. Instead, we're going to be talking about this movie two weeks from now. So you have two weeks to figure out what movie we're going to be covering. And instead, next week's episode is going to be technically a bonus episode. So if you guys haven't listened to last week's episode, it was our iconic bodyguard episode if you haven't listened to it again i highly recommend but um last week we had a special guest co-host on the podcast her name was angie and she's amazing and angie and i we got to talking about whitney for several hours so next week's episode is going to be featuring the conversation that angie and i had that ended up not making the bodyguard episode it's going to be a very in-depth discussion about all things whitney we talk a lot about some very controversial 
issues within the world of Whitney. So if you're a huge Whitney Houston fan, or even if you like casually know Whitney, I think it's going to be an interesting episode to listen in on because, man, we we spill some tea and we break it down. And I feel like a lot of fans within the Whitney community may not like us after that episode, but that's okay. Yeah, actually, I was thinking of releasing that episode today. But it just so happens that this particular day that this Diva Dailies episode is coming out, it's a fairly sensitive day within the Whitney fan community because it's Bobby Christina's birthday. That's Whitney's only daughter. And out of respect for the family, I decided not to post that episode because we don't speak too highly about the family in the bonus episode. So um, yeah, all right. But I'm going to play the clip now. You guys have two weeks to figure out what movie this is. I feel like it's an easy one. But yeah, here we go. Don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is I never left you. And the story of glitter has come to an end. Lisa, do you have any other thoughts? Any Mariah thoughts? What's your favorite Mariah song? It's Get Out My Face. What's that? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Or from about what? my face, something What's, like that. What is that from? Um, Emancipation of Mimi. Mm-mm. It's from Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. Mm. They did a remix with, with Nicki Minaj, but the album version doesn't have Nicki Minaj. When I break, I Well, that's that's cute. That's a nice song. I would say I always go to classic. It may be a bit of a basic answer, but I really, really love Always Be My Baby. Mm. If the sun had a sound effect for when the sun rises and the Uh rays begin to like shine, like it would be Always Be My Baby. Like that's what I think of. I just, I love that song. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Glitter. Um, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're at Diva Daily's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you guys have like any additional glitter thoughts, if you have maybe some corrections, some things that we have missed and you want to share, you can email us divadailiespod at gmail.com. And if you're interested in looking at any of the interviews, articles that we mentioned in this episode, you can reference that in the show notes. And lastly, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And please share this podcast with a fellow diva fan, a fellow lamb. Maybe share it with Mariah and she could tweet it out. (laughs) Be like, they compare you to singing in the rain. Yes, you are (laughs) Debbie Reynolds. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Anything else you want to add, Lisa, before we go? I think that's it. Grab some body glitter, throw it on, start a new trend, and remember divas. So the thing is, a diva has to be good at what she does. Thank you.